Now, this is the moment you've been waiting for. The nominated are for the best motion picture of the year. And from an abundance of excellence, we have nominated. Well, we come now to the final award of the evening, the one for best picture. And here are the nominees for best picture of the year. When we're at the movies, we're not alone. And the Oscar goes to? And the Oscar goes to? This seemed like a better idea in rehearsal. Welcome to Nominated. I am your host, Haley, and we are here with Evan. Hi. Yay. I'm so glad you were able to join me, Evan. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So today we're talking about the first three nominees for the Best Picture Award. Those were Seventh Heaven, The Racket, and Wings. Uh, Now, this was one of the first six years where the movies nominated were from the previous two calendar years. So both Seventh Heaven and Wings were released in 1927, and The Racket was released in 28, and officially the awards happened in 29. So figure that one out. (laughs) That that actually just sounds a little bizarre and weird. I know, like it's super complicated for no reason. So let's start with The Racket, because that was the first movie that I watched. So it was released in 1927. It is, or sorry, it was released in 1928. Yeah, I got there. (laughs) It was classified as a silent crime drama. Um, Mm -hmm. It was adapted from Bartlett Cormack's play. It was written by Bartlett Cormack and Tom Miranda. It was produced by Howard Hughes, who was of Paramount Pictures, directed by Lewis Milestone, starring Thomas... Meghan? Megan? I think it's I think it's Megan. M-E-I-G-H-A-N. Hmm. But I, I would say I would say Megan. Yeah. So starring Thomas Megan, Marie Provost, and Louis or Louis Walheim. Again, L-O-U-I-S. I would take that as Louis. Uh you it could runs... say Louis. Yeah, it, it can go either way, right? It can go, not... exactly go either way. Uh, It runs 84 minutes, so it is the shortest of the three we watched today. It had a controversial portrayal of corrupt police and city government officials, so that actually led to it being banned in Chicago for, like, five years. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And once you watch it, you kind of realize, like, oh, yeah, this was a little not great. Um, It was... It was a movie that we that was originally thought lost until they found a copy in Howard Hughes's personal collection after his death in 1976. What? Yeah, yeah. Um, no way. So the That's insane. <laughs> yeah, Howard Hughes has a had a copy of it in his like personal vault, and it was because these old silent films were mostly recorded on nitrate. And because it's so flammable, they would disintegrate or they would burn up. And so there's a theory that it's something like 75% of all silent films ever filmed are considered lost. Um, Just because, like, the film stock literally doesn't exist. Quick overview synopsis of The Racket. Essentially, a gin runner, beer runner, it's not super clear what he is is operating in somewhere in the United States and a good cop is trying to take him down. And because the gin runner has so many people on the payroll, he has been getting away with basically anything he wants to. Like the phrase getting away with murder, he literally has gotten away with murder at least twice. And then eventually he is involved in another murder that he can't quite get himself out of and the cop is triumphant and is able to put him behind bars so let's just start with your thoughts evan what did you think of this movie as a whole okay i I gotta be realistic it's not often i watch movies from the 1920s (laughs) (laughs) so when i originally glanced over these i was I was kind of lost with certain aspects of it over and that's that's with all three movies overall. But the I mean I was able to pick up enough of the story for it to make a lot of sense and I thought it was uh of the three the most entertaining. I agree. I totally felt the same way. Uh it was but mind you we we're growing up in a society where the the type of action is basically 
it, it's well it's common it's everywhere so for anything else for it to be bland it's kind of like you lose interest but this actually let me keep myself the most focused into it yeah and i think it's similar to like when we read novels that are modern to our time versus reading even jane austen or you go further back to like the first novels the stories uh, tend to be a lot more plotting and involve a lot more exposition rather than actual action yeah which we're kind of used to so uh, let's just talk briefly about the visuals first what did you think visually of this film I mean, for, <laughs> for it's hard because it's in black and white and it's yeah. poor quality. I mean, it, it was. I mean, I was actually considering you're you're talking quality, considering how old it was and the fact that it was restored off of nitrate and all that. It actually threw me off of how good quality it was. But yeah, I, mean, I, I like, found yeah. that of of the three movies, the racket I think was probably. It was like the middle quality, but I also found that like it used shadow really, really effectively. I think that's yeah. like one of my first notes is use of shadow is incredible. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just they want to keep it like, oh, okay, things are all kind of shady and all that. That's what I would have picked up when I, that's what yeah. I picked up when I originally saw that. It's like corruption, overlays, yeah. messages. Yeah. You could tell the difference between like the good guys and the bad guys because the good guys were always just lit so much better and the bad guys always had shadow so they looked more villainous and more evil. Mm -hmm. Which, again, when you can't use color, that's a really important thing. I found, so when I realized that it was based on a stage play, I could see all the different scene switches that would be in a stage play. Okay. Uh, like especially when they were in the... Um, the police headquarters at, like out in the boonies where a lot of the action is taking place like the switch from the cells to the main room and people would exit the main room and re-enter the main one and mm -hmm. the action would happen there so a lot of action would happen in one place and then they would all shift to another place they didn't really move between rooms all that much which i found quite interesting yeah um, do you have anything else for how it looks. Well, I was also, I was also going to say in regards to their their placement of shots, too, uh, with how the cam with how the cameras were set up. But kind of when you bring across the fact that it was adapted from a play, I can kind of see you can see it more play yeah. out with the the wide shots too, especially. Yeah, and and again, visually everything had to just be considered and so precise. Mm -hmm. Um you had to really think about what you were doing because you only had so much time and you only had so much film to actually work with. Yeah. So let's talk about the story and the characters a little bit. Who did you like? Who did you not like? What did you think of the story overall? Uh, I thought the story overall was pretty good. It kind of, uh, I thought it was, like I said before, entertaining. When I was, like like I said, <clears throat> excuse me, when it comes to silent films, uh, there are, is a lot that I will miss. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, I so... found, like, I definitely, I don't know if, if it's the racket. I think it's actually seventh heaven that I had this note. There was a lot of conversation that didn't have cards. Yeah. So I, I actually started reading lips a little bit uh, just to try and figure out who, like what exactly was going on. Cause they would have dialogue, but then the card would be like, uh, I don't know. Like, it would be two characters talking, and then the card would say something along the lines of, that sounds like a plan, go ahead and do it. And then they would keep talking, and there would yeah, be no cards keeps going. to explain what they're saying. Well, and then, that's the other thing, because it's like, there's so much of the story you're missing, but you can at least pick up with, like, their their facial expressions, at least, kind of, what kind of, I you can maybe infer what's going to happen off of that. Yeah, even just with I, their hand gestures. I feel like that's part of the silent film is that they like audiences would pick up what was going on based on hand gestures and motion and things like that, rather than the actual cards, which again is just us being more used to a action oriented story. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. I was, <laughs> that's <laughs> basically exactly it. But exactly. And then you're asking about what I thought of the story though. I thought, Certain aspects were kind of a bit dry, like the latter part when they were in the jail and there was just the dialogue back and forth. Oh, 
and it was just back and forth and back and forth but like when they were having that um that conflict on the street and the cars like cars were crashing into things i thought that was for the time quite like a quite a big scene i was surprised yeah you like for 1928 i don't think you would have seen that much well, there was easily a hundred people in that scene. So the scene that we're talking about is probably a little less than halfway through when the main character, Nick Scarcy, or sorry, he's not really the main character. He is the gin runner, is taking out his rival Spike. And so he's driving his, I, I, guess, I think it might actually have been beer, but they were they were driving their liquor through Spike's territory and Spike's gang says, we told you stay out of here you need to leave and then scarcy's crew just opens fire and just decides nope we're not uh, like we're not playing nice anymore we're just getting rid of you guys like literally they are crashing cars in a busy street it is full of people and then everything just kind of explodes and all of these people are running everywhere Mm -hmm. it was just insane it was actually like for i think that was probably the first time I've seen a silent movie where something that big happened. Yeah. Yeah. I think overall the story was really good. This was definitely my favorite story. And again, I think part of it is the bias of, I prefer an action oriented story, but in general, when I'm picking movies, I will go for a crime drama over a romance any day. So I think that's just my bias. (laughs) No, that's, Um, that's fair. What about all the the characters? So we have Mac, who is the police officer. He's the good cop. We have Scarcy, who is the uh, liquor runner. And we have Helen, who is the dame. I, I literally cannot describe her any other way because that's basically <laughs> what she is. Um, we've, got a couple, we've got a couple of reporters that, that kind of like start slow. I didn't know who they were at first. And then they start to play an important part. And we've got Scarcy's brother. Those are kind of the... The main players in this film well i thought the reporters were hilarious because they were always just kind of meandering around pressing I'm... people for information <laughs> it's obviously a drunk so i was like waiting for that to play in a little bit more but it's he starts off he has like his huge flask he'll sip out of it like i think it was four times over the entire mm. movie but he's just drunk the whole time you can tell but he's clearly a good reporter too so let that gets the job done <laughs> Got his got his popped collar and his like his loose tie and all that. He's like trying to hide <laughs> in his jacket constantly. Uh no, that was um they they were an entertaining part. Yeah. Uh in regards to in regards to the guy who played in regards to not the guy who played the character, Scarcy, I thought he um was charismatic at times and other times he was just, well, you know, what to be expected of his character, like kind of a dick. Yeah. But yeah. It was like you want, you almost want to like him, but you know you shouldn't. Exactly. The captain, the Captain McQuig, he wanted to get this guy, like, by however he could. He wasn't going to stop until he got him, even when he gets transferred and all that. Yeah, he just had this personal vendetta. And and one of the reasons he kept that vendetta was because Scarcy got him transferred, like, went to the police captain whoever's the head of the police in that city and said, you need to move him. And they talked about moving him to the sticks. So he probably went from like an inner precinct to like the suburbs. Helen. Oh my goodness. Helen. I started off not liking her cause I couldn't understand her. And then I just, I'm looking through my notes. It goes from, I don't understand Helen. She's so weird. And then in like on one page, I have three times. I love Helen. <laughs> so i really turned the corner with her she uh she definitely has that femme fatale energy so she first she first shows up in a uh, speakeasy scene she's actually a dancer and a singer in a speakeasy and for whatever reason so she tries to hit on scarcy's brother who is like a kid and he's going to college he's not going to be involved in the racket uh, he's not going to be involved in the liquor running business. Um, but Scarcy has this weird thing against women. And I, I have thoughts about that. We'll come back to that. Uh, and she just like, because Scarcy tries to blow her off, she decides she's going to get it with the brother. It's going to be great. And then she's kind of like the catalyst for a lot of things. So the brother 
eventually accidentally runs her over, leaves her at the side of the road. That's how he gets arrested. And then she also gets arrested because she's technically a loose woman. And then she falls in love with this greenhorn reporter. And like, I couldn't tell whose side she was on at any given time. Yeah. Uh, but in the end, she she's the one that kind of wraps it all up and is like, yes, this is the guy. This is what happened. But uh, yeah, even even at that point, it always seemed like she was just hiding something from somebody, too. That's what yeah. I that's what came across with me. It's like you knew she knew something that she shouldn't or she won't tell you something that you want to know. Yeah, it was she was a very weird character. She was much more complex than the movie spent time going into. So I think I kind of get the sense that like she was written in, but she wasn't supposed to be a super main character. And then they had to kind of change things because she probably had as an actor she probably had a contract with the production house to be in like X number of movies a year. Was there a scene or multiple scenes that really stood out to you as being really interesting or scenes that stood out to you as being really terrible in this movie? The really interesting scenes, like I said, the intense action on the street, that was, that was captivating as hell. Like even just for the time you're like, Oh cool. Action. The the interesting scenes that I found were like the the party that they were having, and then the rival yeah. the rivals show up, and they're like, oh, you, like you just knew the second the shady guy walked in, some shit was gonna oh, happen. That <laughs> speakeasy scene is just incredible. So like just all the different elements that kept happening in it so this is where we first get introduced to helen because she dances and she sings this is where we get introduced to the idea that nick doesn't like women and he wants his brother to be protected and not be involved in this business in like the shady business he's in where we learn that like mac and the cops do know what's going on but there's only so much they can do we learn about who spike is and actually spike is eventually killed in the end of this scene and it we're all pretty confident that it's Scarcy who did it, but there's technically no proof. Mm-hmm. And that moment when the cops walked in, and I just looked at him, I was like, you look like cops. <laughs> like, you, it, it's such a stereotype of the cops walk in and everybody stops because these people look like cops. They were in totally different suits. It was just, it was very funny. I loved that scene. It um, was rather, it was, it, I just loved it. I loved it. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about the racket? No, to be honest. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I could, but it's like it would it would just be redundant from what we already talked yeah, about. Yeah, <laughs> we'd just be going back over the same territory. What I did find interesting in all three of these movies is that there was a lot of comedy, even though they're all technically referred to as dramas. Mm-hmm. Um, there were comedic moments and very particularly the, there was a lot of physical comedy, which I found really good. But with that, let's move on to Seventh Heaven, which yeah, was... let's <laughs> joy. <laughs> uh, this was, I unfortunately have to say, was my least favorite of the three. This was actually the first one I watched. This was released in 1927. Mm-hmm. It is referred to as a silent romantic drama. It was based on a Broadway play by Austin Strong, also called Seventh Heaven, and it was adapted by Benjamin Glazer. It was one of the first movies that established Fox as a major studio. Uh, it was directed by Frank Bor- Borzage? Borzage? Borzage. We're going with Borzage. It was starring Janet Gaynor, Charles Farrell, Ben Bard. Uh, it runs 110 minutes, so it's a bit long. And this was one of the starts of Janet Gaynor and Charles Farrell's on-screen romances. They never actually had an off-screen romance, but because they had such great chemistry on-screen, they were constantly the the two lovers in the movie. Mm-hmm. And Janet actually won Best Actress for her role in this movie and the two other movies she was in in 1927. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Frank won Best Director, and Benjamin won Best Writing for an adapted screenplay, which I think they eventually dropped that category. There was a 1937 sound remake, and it is not as popular as this 1927 silent. There was also a 1938 radio adaptation. And Damien Chazelle, who created La La Land, I think he directed La La Land. He said that the ending of La La Land was inspired by the end of this film. Which is shocking to me because the end of this film sucked. <laughs> Sorry, that's my opinion. Um, we watched a version that had the music by Keith Taylor. 
And I wanted to look a little further into music and silent film because I was very confused. I was like, is this music the same for everyone? The answer is no. Uh, music and silent films until the later half of the 20s didn't have set soundtracks, obviously, because like they, they couldn't create that sound. There was no way to transmit that sound. So it was generally improvised or riffed on classical tunes or theatrical repertoires. So we, we listened to a version which was performed by Keith Taylor, which I mm. and I found it quite interesting. I thought it was a really good soundtrack. Fitting, uh, especially. Yes. So a quick overview of Seventh Heaven. Essentially, it takes place in the Paris slums. There is a woman who we're introduced fairly early on. Her name is Diane. She lives with her sister, Nana. They are trying to improve their lot in life, but it's not going well. There is a man named Chico. He is a sewer cleaner who constantly aspires to be more than a sewer cleaner. Actually, his aspirations are to be a street washer. So at least he's being uh, realistic about what he can achieve. Eventually, Chico and Diane meet. He agrees to try and protect her from being arrested. They eventually fall in love. He goes away to war. And they they maintain their very strong connection. She thinks he dies during the war and everybody thinks he dies. And then he shows up at the end and he's like, I'm blind, but I'm still here to love you. We'll, we'll flesh out that ending. I did not love that. And it actually opens with a quote. And I'm unclear where this quote is from, but I thought it was very beautiful. So it was worth mentioning. For those who will climb it, there is a ladder leading from the depths to the heights, from the sewer to the stars the ladder of courage. And now that I've watched the movie, I kind of understand that quote a little bit more. So, so what did you think, Evan, overall, just general impressions of this movie? Um, I, I just, uh, yep. <laughs> uh overall, um, I mean the story, you know, I get it. It would, if, if it was visually more appealing, I'd probably be more into the story. Um, visually it was my least liked of the three. Because it had that really old kind of half burnt appearance where it was like it, half black. This one was definitely the worst quality of the three. Mm -hmm. um, but I agree. I felt that the lighting, like we raved about the lighting in the in the racket, but in Seventh Heaven, they just did not use their lighting well. I found that faces were really hard to see because they were often just kind of bleached out. Mm-hmm. Or, like, when they had, uh, like, certain expressions, it just kind of made them look even, like, they just made them, the characters look super weird. Yes. Overall, I did not like this movie. I didn't like the story. I found visually it was not as appealing as the others. I found when they were up in the apartment on the seventh floor, I found that pretty interesting. And moving back and forth between the two apartments across like basically a wooden board. I found that kind of cool, but it was just all these little pieces that didn't make any sense. Like Chico is technically neighbor across the way sort of thing. Like he's on the top floor and he can cross on a plank to his neighbor across the street or something in the next building over who his neighbor, Monsieur Gabal is a street washer, which is mm -hmm. what Chico wants to be. And through a series of, it's a little bit deus ex machina, but I can kind of let that go. A priest essentially gives Chico the job as a street washer. And Monsieur Gabon comes over and he says, I could never acknowledge you as a neighbor because you weren't a street washer like me. And I thought that was just super weird. Like, I get I get that there's a lot of classism in 1920s France, but I felt like yeah. neither of you is necessarily above or below the other. And I think that's just my bias. So I, I just found that super weird. Chico... I think I have written it like four or five times. He does the right thing for the wrong reasons. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, he does. Just, I just don't like him. I And I don't understand why Diane loves him. I don't agree with it at all. <laughs> and yeah, the story was just really weak. It was poorly explained. And it just wasn't visually interesting, which sucks. Because I really, I want to like all of these, but I just didn't like this one. I didn't like how Chico was kind of just really dickish at first. Yeah. I, I mean, he, I, he definitely wisened up later, sorry. And he just, he he's like, oh, okay. Once he started to realize love was there, he definitely changed. But that first impression kind of made me think of him as a really stuck up person too, considering yeah. his uh, stance, his yeah. position. 
so he he is a uh, sewer cleaner. So he literally works in the sewers. And the opening of the movie is him talking to his his friend, fellow, whatever, who his actual character name is Rat. So Chico is talking to Rat, and he says, "You know, I I should be up there. I'm a remarkable guy. I'm very important. I I'm smarter than this." And I just kind of go like, "Well." Anytime I hear someone talk in that way, he goes, oh, I'm, I am so much better than where I am in life. It rubs me the wrong way because I think that not that you should accept where you are in life, but you can't look down on where you are because everyone starts somewhere, right? Yeah. Very true. Um, what did you think of Diane and Nana, the sisters? Uh, you were right when you were saying Diane was just kind of weird and loving Chico initially, just because of the way mm-hmm. he was. But um, in regards to her character overall, I found that she was a pretty genuine person in comparison who couldn't live out of the shadow of her sister. Yeah, like especially when she was getting the like the beatings that she was getting with yeah. I don't know what was it a crop or something like that. I think so. Yeah, it looked like it definitely. Uh looked like it had multiple parts to it like it wasn't just one belt or something like that yeah it, it, it looked weird it could have been a like cat of nine tails or something and uh yeah. once she eventually realized when she when she didn't have to live under the oppression of her sister uh, oppression of her sister she could kind of rise up and you know kind of stand up for herself and when, yeah. like, like when she actually stood up, like when she stood up for herself and started beating on her sister to leave her alone. I, I was actually very worried about that. So the, the arc that Diane goes through with her sister is that they're essentially very poor. I, it's unclear whether they're renting or squatting or something like that. But then just kind of suddenly out of nowhere, the priest shows up and is like, hey, I found your uncle and he, he'll take you and your sister in. And Nana is all excited about it, but Nana is an alcoholic. She is constantly drinking absinthe, which I looked up. Absinthe is basically, a, at that time, it would have been a catch-all term for anise and fennel-flavored moonshine. So it's basically oh. moonshine. Yeah, which I was like, mm, that doesn't make any sense, because to us nowadays, absinthe would be kind of a fancy thing. But no, it's it's essentially a catch-all term for uh, moonshine with very specific flavoring. Interesting. Yeah. So then the the aunt and the uncle eventually show up and the uncle says asks Diane, Have you been good girls? I won't allow you in my house if you've not been good. And Diane can't lie to him. She says, No, we've not been good. We are not virtuous people. And he just like loses it on them, chucks a bunch of money on the floor and says, I'm never I don't ever want to see you Which I think is awful. But again, Yeah, that threw me off too. Yeah, it was very strange. So then Nana beats Diane and just like chases her into the street, absolutely beats her into basically a coma and abandons her. Chico comes over for no reason. Again, he does the right thing for the wrong reasons. He comes over and like saves Diane, but then continues to leave her in the gutter while he has lunch with his friends. And eventually when Chico is away at war and Diane is at home, Nana finds her and says like you owe me how dare you blah 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 and then diane kind of as you said finds herself and ends up beating her sister and i was really worried in that scene that she was going to kill her sister because it just Mm -hmm. it that's kind of where it felt like it was leading fortunately she does not and nana runs away and we never see her again (laughs) (laughs) it's just like bye felicia <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, fine, I get it. You're better than me. Bye. Just leaves. So this was this was an interesting thing that I didn't realize was real until I did some more research. So this this movie takes place during World War One. You couldn't I mean, there's no real way to tell that until you realize like they talk about the enemy has crossed the Marne, which is the Marne River, and I did take notes about this. Where did I write them down? So the first Battle of the Marne happened from the 6th to the 12th of September, 1914. So that was really when Paris became mobilized to uh, to 
participate in the war. And that was kind of like the catalyst of what created the First World War as we all know it, as basically the trench stalemate. Okay. And the bit where they commandeer all the taxi cabs, I was like, is that real? Is that even possible? Yeah, that's actually what happened. To drive people to the front, they commandeered thousands of taxi cabs from Paris to drive to the front, which is wild. I've never, I never heard, like when I saw the taxi cabs, I was like, what the hell is this? Like, Like, I I had no idea what was going on. And then you're telling no. And you're telling me it's legit. It's legit. It actually happened specifically <laughs> for the first Battle of the Marne. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Um, so that was kind of an interesting piece. The order of general mobilization goes out and basically all the men involved, except for Chico's one friend who is a taxi cab driver, they all get mobilized and sent to the front. And they're like sent to the front very suddenly. And because of this very sudden change, Chico finally breaks down is like diane we have to get married and diane's like i want to get married in a church and chico's like "Uh uh-uh not happening and then they don't have time to go find someone to marry them so they get married in front of god which is just them pledging to each other and i think that that's very lovely it's a beautiful sentiment Mm -hmm. uh and instead of wearing wedding rings they wear two uh pendants of street washers that the priest gave to chico when he gave him the street washer job yeah which raises a lot of questions, but I'm glad that they felt that it was an appropriate tribute to their love. Yeah. It was <laughs> it was adorable, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Like, that's the thing. It's like, oh, well, that's sweet, I guess. I, that's interesting, I guess. Unfortunately, that's just how we feel about this movie. So yeah. the end of the movie, I want to talk about just a little bit. Go for so it. So we get the title card of year after year, the war goes on. Eventually, we see Chico's death, and we see Diane's has now started working in a munitions factory. So she's um, taking care of herself as best she can. The colonel, who actually was the one that brought her aunt and uncle to her initially at the beginning of the movie, he starts flirting with her and says, you know, Chico's probably dead. You should really just marry me, Diane. And she turns him down, turns him down, turns him down. Then finally, the war is over. Everybody's celebrating. Monsieur Gabon comes home. The priest comes home, who was also at the front. It's very weird that they were all in the same place. Mm-hmm. And, that was um, really messed up. Yeah. I mean, narratively, it made sense. And then two separate people, Monsieur Gabon and the priest, tell Diane that Chico has died. And she gives in to the colonel finally. And she says, okay, yes, I will. I guess I will be with you. Sort of. She doesn't really say it. She actually just kind of collapses in his arms. And then suddenly a the door bursts open and there's Chico. He's blind, but he's alive. And he just saw, and he, he got home just in time. Yeah, like just just made it. I I felt it was a fitting end for this movie because it was very weird, it was nonsensical, and it just annoyed me. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fair. That's very fair. <laughs> Do you have anything to add about? Uh, for I can I can say that I I probably wouldn't watch this film again. Yes. <laughs> like the racket, I might watch again just for a laugh, but I don't think I would watch Seventh Heaven again. Also, while we're on it, you didn't talk about the girls of uh, the guy avoiding the girls in the racket. Yeah, about how Scarcy like really hated women. Sorry, I'll I'll touch back on that quickly. I I couldn't figure out what that meant. I didn't understand if that was like he just doesn't like women because he thinks that they can they can try and seduce you and they can ruin plans, or if he was like secretly gay or something like that. I just found it very odd, and it it actually kind of to me. I'm reading Dune right now for the first time, so it kind of likened it to the Duke or uh, sorry, the Baron Harkonnen for yep. me where he's like i don't like women i refuse you know what my preference is his preference is young boys which is a whole other issue <laughs> uh but i i just found it very weird that scarcy was like i don't want to talk about i i don't want women anywhere near me or my brother it's just a very very interesting perspective to take and i don't yeah. know how i feel about it all right let's move into the third movie 
which was the Academy Award winner. It is the first ever movie to have received the Best Picture Award, and it is called Wings. It was released in 1927. It is considered a silent war film. The story was by John Monk Saunders, and it was rewritten by Hope Loring and Louis D. Leighton. It was produced by Lucien Hubbard, Adolf Zukor, Jesse L. Lasky, B.P. Schilberg, Otto Herman Kahn. It was produced by Paramount Pictures. Directed by William A. Wellman. It was starring Clara Bow, Charles Buddy Rogers, Richard Arlen, and Gary Cooper. Gary Cooper is in a very small part. Until the Artist, it was the only silent film to win Best Picture. It also won Best Engineering Effects, which I can see why. It was one of the first movies to show two men kissing and was the first wide release to show nudity. It runs 111 minutes originally. It was restored and now runs 114 minutes. And this is another movie that was considered lost. This one was considered lost until 1992. They found a spare negative in a Paris archive, and so hey, it was rushed. Haley, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I do need to. I do need to stop you there. It, it was 114 minutes is an hour, uh, just under two hours, and I think the one we watched was like two and it a was half. Two hours and twenty two. Yeah. So that's weird. I why does Wikipedia I, lie to me? Uh, when I'm looking at Wikipedia, the restoration time says 144. Maybe I just wrote it down wrong. It's you know it's a Monday. It's Wednesday. See? (laughs) (laughs) We don't know what day it is anymore. I think you're right. I think I just wrote it down wrong, and it's 144 minutes. I think you're correct. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just I wanted to make sure that we're giving action that that we're giving solid facts. Thank you. Please interrupt me if I get something wrong. I am very happy for that. So yes, it was considered lost until 1992, and then they remastered it. So this one we actually watched together, sort of. I wasn't able to get sound for Evan, but we watched the movie together. And one thing that you and I both pointed out was, huh, there seems to be color when they're shooting. And there were like different sepia tones. And I commented that I was hearing some sounds. So I I looked into it because that's what I do. And they did actually add some color effects in the original version of the film. Which made it really weird. It it was a little bit odd. So so those were originally in the film. Those are real. And I, I just found that very interesting that they were able to do it. Which, again, says to me, like, this d- definitely deserved best engineering effects. Mm-hmm. So, Easily. So quick synopsis of the movie. It is early World War One. Actually... As far as uh, we as Canadians are concerned, it's late World War One, but the uh, this film is American, so they're it's early for them because it's their early entrance into the war. Jack Powell is rebuilding a car, and his neighbor Mary Preston comes over to help him. He is very annoyed by her and does not like Mary, supposedly. <laughs> David Armstrong is the richest man in town, and Sylvia Lewis is a girl from the city. They are deeply in love, but Jack is convinced that he can get Sylvia to love him. Eventually, the two men, Jack and David, they apply to the army, I guess? Like, they they definitely weren't conscripted. They weren't drafted. They volunteered. That's the word I'm looking for. They volunteered for the army, and they both want to be pilots. So they end up in the Air Force together. They end up in the same squadron. Initially... Jack is very mean to David because Jack is convinced that Sylvia loves him and not David. They eventually become friends. They go to the battlefield of World War One as aviators, which, as we all know, was just an awful time for anybody involved. Mary makes an appearance in France uh, because she has gone over as part of the Women's Motor Corps. Eventually, David is believed to be killed during a dogfight. Turns out he's alive, steals a, ger- uh, steals a German plane, starts to fly it back, and Jack doesn't realize that this is David, shoots the plane out of the sky, kills David, eventually returns home, and through, these, through this like last third of the movie, he realizes that truly he loves Mary and not Sylvia. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would say the real loser in this is Sylvia and also yeah. the world. because It was a war. 
<laughs> but like Sylvia loses the man she was in love with and had a man who thought she was in love with him kind of uh, just abandon her. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly what happened. I mean, I mean it wasn't just the the man that abandoned her. It was also the film because like you don't see <laughs> Sylvia much. <laughs> and then like even at the end when um when Jack comes home, it's like they don't even touch on her being around. They just yeah, immediately Yeah, they, they show her once sitting on the swing and that's it. And that's like just it. And it's just okay. You know, that's that's a good story. So, so with that, actually, I have a quote from Clara Bow, who was the lead actress. She played Mary. Um, Wings is a man's picture. I'm just the whipped cream on top of the pie. So definitely this, this movie was written to be a war movie. But because Clara Bow had the uh, contract with Paramount and she was supposed to star in a certain number of movies, they had to rewrite the movie to fit her into it. Oh, and you can totally see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> her part is not very big. Her storyline is not very good, which is kind of disappointing. But overall, this movie, honestly, quite incredible. The uh, The story was weak, which we've kind of learned is a hallmark of this time. Uh, but the effects, oh my goodness. Yes. They, like, easily of the three... This one had the most, like by a lo- by a long shot. So uh, apparently, uh, Wellman, the director, was a pilot in World War One, and he wanted to be able to tell the story visually with planes. Okay. So they did. They rigged a filming system that they could record all of these aerial shots in planes, in real planes. So insane. when you and I were yeah, when you and I are sitting there going, oh my god, did they actually film this in a plane? They did. It was just crazy. And, and for uh, the time, too, right? Even now, trying to film something like that now, like, sure, we can put every GoPro you could imagine, but it still wouldn't look the same quality. And this was of equal quality to the entire film. I was so impressed. The This film, if you ever get a chance read through some of the production stories of this film because it was uh, it was crazy it was v- like wellman is uh, a control freak normally a film would take like uh, one month like four weeks ish to film mm-hmm. this one took nine months oh wow to film not not to make to film it was crazy but to talk about the film itself what what stood out to you? What did you like about this film? What didn't you like? It was well the again being raised in in our in our culture. Yeah, the yeah. action scenes were pretty were pretty insane, especially like again for the time. Um, they were frequent, way more frequent than the other two by far. You're right about the story kind of being a little meh, but yeah. it was those kind of more entertaining scenes that actually kept me interested enough to watch it throughout. Yeah, I felt that um, a lot of those battle scenes just went on for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Like, I understood why they were going on for so long, but I definitely found myself a couple times just, like, tuning out. I was like, oh, we're in a battle scene. Okay, we're in a dogfight. All right, I'll just let it happen. But overall, I think this one was the least plotting, um, kind of got to the point uh, and was was the most engaging of the three movies, for sure. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about some of the characters. So, Jack, we hate him. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it is funny when it it is funny when it starts out. He seems like I mean he's an alright guy throughout. Like they end up he and David end up becoming solid friends. But watching him rip his car apart in the beginning, it's like why are you ripping apart a car? And he's like, so I can, you know, fly and go fast in it. It's like, okay. (laughs) He essentially modifies Uh, this car to be essentially a death machine almost. Yeah. I I think it barely had two seats once he was done with it. (laughs) And like, it was a, it, it had a nice carriage seat. It was pretty good. Like I can understand taking apart the mechanics of it. I can understand removing like 
the hood and stuff. But I was like, do you want people to drive it with you or do you just want to go really fast? Um, yeah. Uh, then, David. Oh, David. Sorry. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm following your I'm following your your lead. Okay. Uh, David, I loved David like from beginning to end. I thought he was a wonderful character. I thought he like he was just so much more genuine than any of the other male characters in these movies mm -hmm. and more than Jack. Jack became genuine. Jack had an arc, but David kind of started there. So to be fair to Jack, he had a really good development arc. David kind didn't really change the whole way through, but he was he was just so good to start with. Well, at the beginning, like you don't think it would be like that, uh, especially when Jack comes up when uh, David and Sylvia are on the swing and he just totally rips Sylvia off of it and puts her in the car and drives away. It was so weird. Okay. I know. I'll break that scene down just a little bit. So to start with, we have this couple swinging and we are, the camera is swinging with them. So we swing with them the entire time, which I thought was super cool, very visually interesting. And what I couldn't quite tell until kind of the end of the scene uh, was were they swinging against a backdrop or were they swinging again in reality and they it was real like clearly they had rigged up the camera to swing with them yeah I, um, it's hard yeah. to say like if because uh, especially how they did the the little cuts with what was going on in the background because mm -hmm. it just seemed like it was everything was just kind of happening so quick in the back Yes. And Sylvia and David are talking about how much they love each other um, and how important they are. And then Jack just drives up in his janky jalopy. Honestly, it is a jalopy. There's no better way to describe it. And he just says like, hey, Sylvia, I want you to have the first ride. Grabs her under the arms and just pulls her off the swing and throws her into the car, just leaving David on the swing. Now, here was the thing. This is what the point I was getting at with this scene. So Jack grabs Sylvia and drives off. You think it's supposed to be a good thing. Like, okay, like Sylvia and Jack already had a thing going or something like that. But then you just see uh, Dave after she gets whisked away and the look on his face oh, like really made it. Well, it made it look like he was going to set something up and cause problems. It's like, oh, shit, you know, there's going to be an antagonist problem right here. Yeah, but then yeah, when they you, sign you think up, Jack's gonna be the, you think uh, Dave's going to be Jack's bad guy. Yeah, but then when they sign up for the army, they have this huge boxing fight, and uh, Jack beats the piss out of Dave, like, mm -hmm. rather spectacularly. <laughs> and then they're, like, then they're like, okay, let's be friends now. And Which is so totally strange. <laughs> I was like, okay, how the hell did this happen? It was like, I mean, it's a weird way to start a friendship. But then after that, that friendship really, really gave foundation for a large uh, chunk of the story plots in the film. And and I'm glad that you were also confused by it because I was going to ask you, like, is that a is that like a male thing where it's oh you have to beat each other up to prove to each other? Clearly not. Well, it's like I've never had to be like, hey, I'm going to punch you in the face, and then we're going to become best friends, <laughs> like all the time. It's like that's not how friendships start. Wait, I. <laughs> Isn't that how you and Tom became friends? No, that developed after we became friends. Okay. Um, okay. But but him and I <laughs> him and I doing that that is jokes. It's not like oh nope I can best you you could best me. It's just the occasional smack. <laughs> yeah, it was just yeah for whatever reason it was very important to Jack that he uh, show his dominance over David. Yeah. Um, Mary and Sylvia who don't really interact like I don't think they're ever in a scene together except when Jack is driving by with Sylvia in the car yeah yeah basically it's kind of, it, it's it's interesting to me and Mary so obviously is in love with Jack I I actually have in my notes I was getting um Midsummer Night's Dream vibes from the four of them where it's like two are very much in love one is in love with one of the couple and there's a fourth person kind of looking in going oh but the one who's not in the couple I want you like it, it's very like it, Hermia and oh shoot Hermia Lysander Demetrius and Helena like Mary is totally Helena 
Jack is very much Demetrius, and then Lysander and Hermia are Jack or uh, Dave and Sylvia. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it then it comes into how well do you know your Shakespeare with Haley? The answer uh, is better than most, less than some. I feel like we kind of covered most of this movie. Is there anything specifically you want to talk about? I did think that going back to what you said about the aerial capture, mm-hmm. the like those scenes were just absolutely insane uh, yeah. i i really like i really like the the aesthetic of it like the way they had the shot set up i mean you you can only imagine how much prep how much practice that would have taken yes um, oh especially and, with and flying again, that's the why things. that's why it took nine months to film it right yeah which to us nowadays nine months to film something that doesn't seem crazy but at that time that was like triple what you would normally take well, I guess technically it would be nine times, but... And you wouldn't think it would take as long, considering it was silent film. Mm-hmm. I want to point out the scene where Mary finds Jack at the nightclub. Oh, uh, the bubbles scene. Oh, the bubbles scene. Jack and Dave are able to um, kind of prove themselves on the battlefield. They actually end up getting the a French Medal of Valor. I am unclear what award they specifically got. And so as a reward, they get to have a weekend off in Paris. Paris during World War I, uh, quite the place to be. So we get about 60 seconds of them enjoying that they get to be in Paris. And then almost as soon as they've arrived in Paris, uh, we as the audience get told they're being recalled to the front because the big push is starting to happen. And the boys have been causing trouble throughout town. Mary eventually uh, sees the shooting star and she goes, oh, that must obviously mean Jack, which I am unclear how (laughs) she puts that one together. There are military policemen trying to find all of the pilots. And so Mary decides that she's going to go find Jack before the MPs can find him. turns out they have gone to Folie Berger, which basically is like, night fun the joys of the evening sort of thing and we come upon an incredibly inebriated jack mary goes through the whole like doesn't jack recognize me oh he doesn't recognize me i'll go ask the woman in the bathroom to help me oh good she's gonna dress me up like a horse so now i can seduce him that Um, dress like where did she like where did they get it again exactly uh from the dancer's costumes Okay. She's dressed like a dancer. I thought that dress was very beautiful. I honestly, Clara Bow in that scene, she was just this whole movie, but that scene in particular, she was just gorgeous. Um, absolutely beautiful human being. Eventually, Clara does seduce a still drunk Jack, so he does not remember any of this. He is convinced that there are bubbles everywhere because he's drunk and he's drinking champagne. So bubbles, bubbles, bubbles. Uh, she eventually gets him back to his room. I was really worried that she was going to take advantage of him. She does not. And then she decides to leave the note telling him that he has to report back to the front. And she goes to change. And the MPs walk in and see her changing. They make assumptions. And then she gets sent back to the States. So. This Typical scene, men. I mean, didn't give her a chance to explain, but she also well, didn't try. So It wasn't just that. They were pervy as hell. Oh, the one... They, they were terrible. So I did tell Evan before we watched, or no, it was while we were watching that this was one of the first movies that um, really had nudity. Um, so it turns out that there are two points. First point is early on in the recruitment office when we saw those butts. There are <laughs> male butts and they looked very nice. And then the second point is that I guess technically you see a bit of boob when she's changing, but I did not see it, so I don't know. So those are like the two points where there's nudity. Yeah, they make it seem like it's going to be way more uh, way more nudity than it actually is, but it's like, uh, it's small flash, almost nothing. To, so you're like, to us, it's nothing, but of course, at the time. I like that ankle. <laughs> okay, so the bubble scene. What, what the did, bubble talk scene. to me about the bubble scene, Evan. There was bubbles everywhere because it was uh it was an interpretation of how just exactly how far tanked jack was like he was just <laughs> wanting bubbles everywhere all the bubbles and i was surprised to see 
an animation of that sort be injected into this caliber of a serious movie. Like, I, I understand the context behind it, but it's like it kind of really adds adds levity to everything that else w- that was going on. I Yeah, I thought it was a really good scene. Told a lot of story. I, uh, again, being a modern woman, I did not like how Mary approached the situation, but that has more to do with my bias than with her. Mm-hmm. Apparently... Charles Buddy Rogers this was his first time ever being drunk so most of it was pretty legit (laughs) Uh, seriously yeah yeah like he'd never had alcohol before he was like 22 or something when this was filmed and they just they just gave him liquor and said go wild yep oh my god that is great I mean that's that's method acting. <laughs> brand new, you know, brand new respect for this movie. Like, that is hilarious. No, right? Oh. It's, it's, this is absolutely one of those movies where um, your enjoyment of it is increased when you know what was going on behind the scenes. That's hilarious. So let's talk about all three movies compared to each other because they were all nominated for um, the best picture. Uh, which at the time I think was like best original screenplay or something like that. It had a weird name the first year, but then they changed it afterwards to be outstanding motion picture. Comparing these three movies to each other, obviously they're very different stories. Which which ones did you like? Did you not like? What would you rewatch? What would you not rewatch? We kind of touched on that a little bit. Like, just comparing the three movies, what do you think were some good qualities and some bad qualities? Uh, bad qualities, aesthetically, for Seventh Heaven. That was the biggest, that was the biggest drawback for me. Um, it's hard, it's I just, hard to watch a movie when you feel like you can't see it. Well, exactly. And then when everything just, it just, it kind of really gave me an unsettling feeling, too. I don't know why. I just old-timey stuff like that really kind of... It just me, give me a weird feeling. So what you're saying is I should have you on for the 1930 episode as well. <sighs> Maybe. <laughs> it depends on what you're showing. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, in regards to uh, the racket and wings, I did think that, I mean, they were way better. They had way more depth to them. There, there. I overall, there's just more to them. I mean, I know a couple of them were adapted from plays or adapted to plays, uh, specific like the racket. Seventh Heaven, Seventh Heaven really looked like it was just a, a massive play. It honestly did. Um, there wasn't a lot of the, a lot of the intense action. Like everything you did see would be okay. You know, that guy got shot. He fell over. Cool. You know, uh, compared to wings where it's like oh wow this guy got shot shot while he's flying a plane and you just see like the blood come out of his mouth and whatnot there was a lot of there was a lot of depth to it but i think they wanted to add to the realism of what war is actually like right like there's obviously a lot of messages behind wings and what war does to people and how it affects everybody but yeah like i do actually think that out of the three wings was probably the one i would have the the one that entertained me the most yeah yeah i i agree i think we've been pretty clear about how we did not feel very well like we we just didn't enjoy seventh heaven which is fine that's that's Mm. what it is it's not a big deal i think that i would rewatch the racket i would definitely like if we if we were having a movie night of hey bring a weird movie that you don't think anyone's seen i would bring the racket because i i thought it was very fun i liked wings a lot and i think what i liked about wings was that it was so historical and it was so of the time to an extent apparently the costume design was uh accurate to the 1920s not to the 19 teens which i found interesting considering the amount of care they were putting in everything else i found that Wings was too graphic in some parts that it became hard for me to watch, whereas the racket kind of kept... Um, it had a very North by Northwest... No, sorry, that's not the movie I'm thinking of. It had a very Maltese Falcon feel to it, and I think that's what I enjoyed, is like they were 
clear about what was happening. People got shot. People got run over. But it wasn't gory. It wasn't graphic. Two questions. And these are the two big questions. The first one is, do you think there was a bad movie in this group? And the second question is, which one would you have uh, voted for for best picture? The bad movie, easily, Seventh Heaven. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm, uh, if just out of the three of them, I would dispute that as the worst, hands down. Mm-hmm. For the best, I, pr- I probably would pick Wings, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And here's, here's a supplementary question, and I'm kind of springing it on you. Would you have nominated a different movie that was released in 27-28? Well, can you just hold on a hot minute and see if I can... <laughs> <laughs> like I said, hey. I was kind of springing it on you. So uh, while you're looking that up, I'll, I'll answer those two questions. I agree. I think Seventh Heaven was the bad movie of this bunch. I don't think it is a... I, I don't think it has rewatchability. I don't think it's redeeming. I think it's good to watch once and say, great, now I've seen it and move on. I agree that Wings should have won Best Picture. Wings obviously did win Best Picture. I think that was the best film of the year. But if it didn't have all of these amazing special effects, I would have given it to The Racket. So it really was the effects, not the story, that took it over the top for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I if I had to pick a movie, honestly, 1928, Mickey Mouse, Steamboat Willie. Okay, okay. No, that's that's <laughs> no, an interesting choice. I, never I that, was, that, that. Oh. that that was a flat out lie. I wouldn't I was take that. Letting you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you lie uh, easily. Um, uh, what was that? I think a Buster Keaton movie came out in 1928. Um, Probably. If I'm, if I'm right, it's the cameraman. Anything that's Buster Keaton, I'm willing to give a chance. Because okay. that you, guy was hilarious. You know what? I've actually never seen a Buster Keaton film. So I think that's one For that I'm going to have to do. Yeah. So oh. I think might have to do a bonus episode of me and you watching some Buster Keaton. Oh, he's it's fun. It's fun. So uh, I actually do have a movie that I would have nominated in these years. now, And the reason it would never even be considered is because it is a german film metropolis have you ever seen metropolis uh i i've seen the one based off of the novel that was made a few years ago but definitely not the one you're thinking of no so this was a film in uh 1927 um so the same year as wings and seventh heaven which is why seventh heaven makes me so angry i just Um, pulled a picture (laughs) i just pulled up some pictures what yeah so Metropolis is, it's a very interesting, it's absolutely a sci-fi story of a class war that erupts. It's fascinating. Just wonderful. Wow. Um, In the future, the year 2030. (laughs) Oh, God. Really? It's in 2030? Oh, my goodness. Oh, I didn't realize that. Oh, boy. Oh dear. Okay. Oh, well, I'm sorry. That just made it for uh, me. This wins. <laughs> not so distant future of 2030. I mean, considering we're living in 2020 right now, and we don't know if we're going to make it to 2021, it's a it's a future that I am interested in seeing. Uh, but yeah, if um if I could nominate another movie or a movie in replacement, I would have said Metropolis for sure. That's fair. I guess that brings us to the end of this episode. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Evan. Oh, thank you for having me. So we decided we would give the Academy Award to Wings. So we agree with the Academy in this case. Because realistically, this whole award is entirely subjective. There's been a lot of discussion about it in recent years. And it's just fun. So So next episode, we're going to be discussing... Not necessarily Evan and I. I will have a different guest. Uh, Evan will come back on in the future. Probably not for one of these older ones. (laughs) Maybe I'll bring you on for like 2019 or something. Uh, If if you need me, if you need me for any particular year, I'll be more than happy to come back on. Yay! Yay! Uh, We're going to be watching and discussing the films from 1997, which were Titanic, As Good As It Gets, The Full Monty, Goodwill Hunting, and L.A. Confidential. Thanks for All listening. good movies. 
If you'd like to watch the movies along with us, Titanic and Goodwill Hunting are available on Netflix. As Good As It Gets is available on Cineplex Online. The Full Monty is on Amazon Prime. And LA Confidential? Well, that was a tough one to track down. You might just have to buy yourself a DVD copy. That's what I ended up having to do. If you want to follow the podcast, it is everywhere on social media at NominatedPod. Three. Three. There we go. Good work. Great. So awesome. now that's all. So I can stick that. Okay. I don't really have an intro, so we're going to make this up. All right. Were there any scenes that really stood out to you in this movie that you really, really liked or really, really didn't like? Uh, I'm sorry. I just I got caught. I got distracted by something super kind of important. What? I'll just start this bit over. That's okay. Give me time to scratch my dog. Yeah, dogs and scratches. Okay. <laughs>